Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. go with one or two other people with you and you see if you can't fix the whole thing. And they're there to be witnesses of the problem. And so you may be the one that's got the problem. Maybe you're just picking them apart. Maybe it's the kind of thing where it's like, it's like they, you know, they were walking uh, out of church and they walked right by you and they didn't say hi to you and you were highly offended over this. And so when you come and talk to them, you and them alone, they go, well, wow, I didn't really mean to do that to you. You know, sorry. And you look at them and I go, and you go, well, I don't think you're sorry enough. And so you go get one or two people to come with you. And the one or two people come up and you go through the whole thing again. He wasn't sorry enough. And the one or two people look at you and go, what is wrong with you? The guy apologized. You need to take the apology, you know, take the win here and go with it. And so it can be that way or it can be the other way where the other person says, you can stick it, I hate you, and um, I don't care if you die and go to the pit. And then the other, other two are looking at that. Okay, so that's, that's offenses. And if it goes beyond that, then you take it to the church and then they need to be treated like a heathen and a publican. Do we hate heathens? No. Do we hate publicans? No. Are they Christians? No, right? And so you treat them like a non-Christian is what you do at that point. You're not part of the fellowship. You may think you are, but you're not. Then he says, look at verse 18. This is where I wanted to go. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered uh, together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now turn over to Matthew 23. Turn over to Matthew 23. And in verse two, Jesus is speaking and he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. And then he goes through and he says, they bind heavy burdens. And then he, he just rips into these guys. And uh, all, all the way down towards the end of the passage. And then in verse 34, he says, therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Um, and he actually, in another part of this passage, he says that the authority is going to be taken from you and given to a nation who walks in righteousness. And he's talking about the church. Okay, so they're sitting in Moses' seat. This is what this is talking about, this whole binding and loosing thing. What a lot of people think, because they watch Christian TV, is that I have the power to bind the devil. I can bind him. So you'll hear TV preachers say, I bind you, Satan, and, uh, and that kind of thing. 
Um, one, of the, one of the problems with that whole concept is I wonder how many people are binding Satan at any one time in a day. And it's gonna be all the TV preachers, okay? How many times does he get bound during a year? Is Satan staying bound? Or is Satan going around doing all kinds of stuff? World's getting worse and worse, worse and worse, you know, and people will talk about, you know, I've chained the devil and that kind of, if, if he's got a chain on him, the chain's too long, right? And so binding the devil is not what this is talking about. What this is talking about, this is a, a whole concept in Judaism. It was called binding and loosing somebody to the law. And so basically, when you bound somebody, I do this all the time. Somebody will come in and say, hey, Steve, I'm looking at a job and I don't know if God wants me to have the job. I don't know if this is flaky or what. And so can I talk to you about the whole thing? And then they tell me that the job is being a drug dealer on the side. Okay, so immediately I will have problems with this because the scripture says that we're not supposed to be in, involved in what's called sorcery or pharmakia. It's illicit drugs in the Bible. And so we're not to be involved in that whole thing. And so what I would say to him is that the Bible says you're not to be involved in this and so you need to stay away from it. And what I just did was I bound him to the scripture at that point. If a person comes in and says, you know what, Steve, I'm, I'm looking at buying a new car and I don't know if I should buy a Honda or if I should buy a Dodge Ram 3500. What I will say to him is, why in the world would you wanna buy a Honda? No, I, no, I wouldn't say that to him. What I would say to him is, you know what, the Bible doesn't say whether or not you should have a Dodge Ram 3500 or whether or not you should have a Honda. And so you get to go pray about this. You could talk to the Lord about it. He may have, he may have a preference on this. Probably the American-made truck is the preference that he's gonna have, but he may have a preference on this whole thing, but you know, it's like the Bible doesn't say. And what I just did was I loosed the person from scripture. So in the one case, I bound them to what the Bible says, on the other case, I loose them from the scripture. You have the, you have the freedom to do what you want. In Judaism, I always use this, uh, this um, example. Your house could, get, it could become unclean if someone or something died in it. And if it was unclean, there was a seven-day process for cleaning your house. And so the rabbis would go through and they would try to figure out all the different ins and outs of these kinds of laws. And they, they literally did this and one of their Mishnas, they were talking about a guy who had a dog die on his doorstep. And so he came and talked to the rabbis and said, <clears throat> excuse me, my dog died, but he died on the, on the doorstep. Is my house clean or unclean? Because he was halfway inside and halfway outside. And so what they did was they asked the question, which way was his head pointing? Which way, which, which way was his nose pointing? And they said, he said, well, his noise, nose was pointing in. And they go, we, bound, we bind you to the scripture because his nose was pointing in. If his nose had been pointing out, we would have loosed you from that commandment. And that's what binding and loosing was. And so when Jesus is talking to these guys and saying, saying you're sitting in Moses' seat and he talks to the believers and says, you do what they do. Well, you do what they say. They're sitting in Moses' seat. But don't you do as they do. And then he goes into this whole thing with them and talks about the fact that nation uh, or the, 
the, the blessing was going to be taken away from them and given to a people that was worthy of it. And so we have binding and loosing authority, not in and of ourselves, but because of what the Bible has to say. And that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples here. He's giving them the authority to proclaim somebody sinful or without sin. And so I can tell you for sure that if you give your life to Christ, you know, I've done this with people. You give your life to Jesus, you pray a prayer asking Christ to come into your life and forgive you for your sins, and you commit your life to him, I can tell you on the authority of Scripture and on the authority of Jesus Christ himself that you have your sins forgiven, right? And every single one of us can do exactly the same thing. If somebody comes up to me and says, Steve, I don't think that, that my sins are forgiven, I go, why? And they give me a whole explanation, and I say, did you confess your sin? And they tell me, well, yeah, but I don't feel forgiven. Well, the Bible says that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive you for your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so at that point, what I'm telling him is that his sins are forgiven based on the fact that he's told me that he's confessed before the Lord. And it doesn't matter how you feel at that point. And again, that's, the, that's a situation that's going on there. It's not saying I can forgive sins, because I can't. Who can forgive sins except for God alone, is what the Pharisees said when they saw Jesus forgiving sins, right? No one can forgive sins except for God alone. <clears throat> and that's one of the indications of who Jesus is. In any case, he tells you that you can do that. What an awesome thing. You got some person who's just been bound up in sin all their life, you witness to them, you pray with them, you lead them to the Lord, and you look at them and, and just go, dude, you know what? It's all gone. It's all gone. It's cast as far as east is from west. God will never remember it again. It's all gone. And totally freeing. And that, again, is what Jesus is talking about. But on, on the other hand, if you come to me and you say, you know what? I don't need to ask Christ into my life. I don't need to have a relationship with God. I'm good enough. I go to church. I read a Bible. I pray. I do this. I do that. I got baptized three times. and You know, whatever. You come up with a whole list of things and say that should be good enough for God. And what I would say is, well, it's not. If you don't come in, come in the way that God wants you to come in, you have no forgiveness of, of sin. And at that point, I would be retaining that person's sin. And so that's that whole situation. It says, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. See what happens when you miss church? There, there is just something about Sundays, like seriously, there's something about Sundays, man. And you know, if you're here on Wednesday because you can't come on Sundays because of work schedules or whatever's going on, I get it. But it's just the, it's, Sundays are the weirdest thing to me. And I didn't, I didn't notice this until I moved up to Kennewick. When I was down in Southern California, <clears throat> we had evangelistic outreaches all the time. And so Sunday night was usually the night that we did evangelistic outreaches. And so when I came up, that's one of the things that I wanted to do. 
And so we get, you know, we get a, a name to come in, you know, to sing songs and, and do that kind of thing. And then I get up and teach and, and share the gospel with people. And, you know, people would get saved, but it was kind of like, you know, here and there, here and there, here and there. A lot of expense, a lot of stuff going on there. And actually, a lot of times what would happen is all the Christians from all the other churches would come in, they'd listen to the music, and as soon as I came out with a Bible, they'd get up and they'd walk out. I could not believe it. And a lot of times the people who were obviously non-believers would get up and walk out with them. There's going to be a judgment for that, man. There's going to be a judgment for that. You don't do that kind of stuff, especially when you got unbelievers in the room. In any case, what I realized was that up here, concerts don't work. You people are not like Southern California people. Like you're totally different. There's something wrong with you. Or maybe there's something wrong with them. <laughs> in any case, what works is Sunday mornings. Like the best evangelistic thing we've got going is Sunday mornings. And so almost every time that I give an invitation on a Sunday morning, multiple people get saved. Usually it's 10, 10 to 20 people on a Sunday get saved when I just give an, an invitation to ask Jesus in their hearts. And sometimes I'm not even going through a Bible study that's evangelistic. I'm just going through and I get done and I go, well, we got some time. Would anybody like to give their life to Jesus? And people raise their hands and get up and, you know, and do this whole thing. Sundays is different. And so don't miss Sundays. That's what Thomas did. So now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so you have Thomas and we call him Doubting Thomas. In fact, that's the title I, I gave to this Bible study, Doubting Thomas. And I think Thomas gets a bad rap a lot of times. I, I think uh, that you can see from Thomas's response to Jesus that he was a skeptic he wasn't somebody that was without faith. He's just a skeptic. And he thinks that, you know, it's not the norm. People rising from the dead, not the norm. Not something that I've ever seen during my life. That, well, actually he had, he was hanging out with Jesus. But normally speaking, you get, you get crucified. They stick spears in your side, do this whole thing, and you're not coming back. And so that's what Thomas is working off, off of. And so... He's skeptical about what's happening with the guys. He thinks that they're overwhelmed with grief, probably. He thinks that they're going through a, some kind of mass delusion. Uh, the women are going crazy. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, what do you mean you didn't recognize him until he broke bread? How could you not recognize? I mean, we ask these same questions. How could you not recognize him when you're walking with him? And you can imagine all the things that are going through Thomas's head as he's hearing all these different stories. And he's just like, I, you know, I'm not going to believe that. And, you know, one of, one of the things that we have in our world is a situation where, where um, people in the world are getting more and more violently opposed to Christianity. And so they mock the Bible, they mock the story of the resurrection. Some people are even starting to mock Jesus. Have you noticed this? Some people are even starting to mock Jesus, which was, that was taboo at the time when I was a kid. Actually, at the time when I was a kid, you didn't mock the Bible. So I knew nothing about the Bible, but I didn't go around mocking it because I didn't know if there was a God or not. He might, he might smush me 
<laughs> if, I, if I mocked it, in any case, you got all these secular attacks on Jesus, on the resurrection and on the Bible and that kind of thing. And they're actually right to attack the resurrection. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are liars, talking about the apostles. And those who have died are dead. And we of all people are most miserable because we're still in our sins and we're being persecuted for it. There's a guy named Bart Ehrman. And Bart Ehrman, you'll hear about him routinely. He's a guy who's over in North Carolina, South Carolina, one of the one of the uh, universities over there. And he claims to have been a Christian, uh, an evangelical Christian previously and lost his faith. And so he's one of the, the go-to guys for American atheists. They love to use Bart Ehrman. And one of the things that he did was he wrote a book called Heaven and Hell, The History of the Afterlife. And he said in an interview that I was watching on YouTube, um, he said this, I have to show, I have to show that in my book and I lay it out and explain why it's absolutely not the case that Jesus believed you died and your soul went to heaven or hell. Jesus had a completely different understanding that people today don't have. And so literally saying, Jesus does not believe in heaven or hell. And obviously there are problems with this. This is a guy who's ignoring just about half of the things that Jesus said. Did you know, for example, that Jesus talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible? More than anyone in the Bible. And this joker's coming along saying he didn't believe in hell. Jesus talked about heaven routinely. He talked about going there. He's talked about the kingdom of heaven, that kind of stuff. Let me, let me give you a, a few verses. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Does that sound like heaven, or, heaven and hell? You got life and you got hell, right? Here's another one. This is, well, with Jesus, you have the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, for example, the rich man dies and go to, goes to Hades. Lazarus goes to paradise, uh, Abraham's bosom. You have that same thing. Thief on the cross, one of the last things that Jesus said to this guy was, verily, verily, I say to you, today you will be within, with me in paradise. It means so be it, so be it, amen, amen, is what, it, what he said in Greek. You, today you will be with me in paradise. Right, Jesus doesn't believe in heaven. What's wrong with you? And even after that whole thing, this guy turned around and contradict, contradicted himself. One of the things that tries to point out is that in the Old Testament, uh, they, nobody believed in heaven or hell and nobody believed in an afterlife. And there's again, problems with that. This is Job 19, 25 through 27. Job speaking, he says, for I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job is the earliest book in the Bible. Job was written before Moses wrote the book of, book of Genesis. And so, earliest book in the Bible is talking about heaven. Jesus, when he was going to go raise Lazarus from the dead, has this conversation 
with Martha. And here's how it went. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, wait, wait, there is no resurrection. No, this is what he said to her. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And here's what Jesus was saying there. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die. That's what just happened to Lazarus. Though he may die, he shall live. So he dies physically, but he's going to live. And what he's talking about is having eternal life. And then he goes on and he says, and whoever lives, whoever has that kind of life, the eternal life, and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is one of the passages where Jesus is making it clear that you'll never be the next Satan. Have you ever, have you ever thought that? You know, God gets done with everything. We're all in heaven. Everything's going great. Steve Winery comes up with, I just don't want to do what God wants me to do anymore. I think I'll try to take his, and Steve becomes the next devil. What's going to keep me from doing something that stupid? And the promise is that when we go to heaven, we're not made innocent. We're made perfect. We're not just cleansed from our sin. We're cleansed from any desire to sin, and we become like the Lord at that point. And so you're never going to be the next devil. Ehrman said this on an NPR interview, the Easter story is a story of hope that in the Easter story, death is not the final word, that there's something that comes after death. There is hope in moments of complete despair. There can be life after death. And he's probably just talking about somebody who's grieving and having a life after their grief is over. But Jesus, Jesus going to the cross and dying and rising from the dead, if you don't need that, then again, the resurrection is pointless. And if the resurrection is pointless, then how do we know if our sin is forgiven or not? Jesus said, you're going to know that I'm the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. And so again, we have to have that. Um, you know, you got all these, all these groups that will appeal to lost books and conspiracies like the Da Vinci Code and all of that kind of stuff. And all of them, Ha, uh, both want to claim that Jesus is a good moral teacher, but he's not God. He didn't rise from the dead that the apostles made this up. And anytime that I talk about this stuff, one of the points that I make about this is that Jesus, if the apostles are going around saying he's God and that he rose from the dead and he's not and he didn't, then Jesus is a lousy moral teacher. How many of you think I'm God? Raise your hands. Oh, none of you? Oh, interesting. How many of you would go out 10 years after I die and decide that Steve is God? And we're gonna start a new religion, Steve being God, and we're all gonna worship him. How many of you would do that? Good, that's a, that's a good answer. None of you would do that. How many of you would say that after I died that I rose from the dead when I really didn't? How many of you would do that? And again, none of you would do that. You know, I can, I can see that. that. You know what that makes me? It makes me a better moral teacher than Jesus. Because that's what they're saying his apostles did. That they went out and lied about the whole story of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And that's just flat out unbelief 
on their part. Atheists can, can be so dumb. They could be so dumb, you know. Heard a, heard a story about an uncle who goes to his nephew's house and he has a bunch of kittens. His cat had had kittens. And so he goes to look at the kittens and he goes, you know, Uncle Joe, would you like a kitten? And he goes, well, sure, what kind of kittens are they? And he goes, well, you know, they're atheist kittens. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.